You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake Box, and I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. And uh, before we get into the message this morning, I've got an exciting announcement to make. Uh, the announcement is that we are bringing Matt Tolander onto our church staff as our leadership development pastor. So yeah, we're really, we're really excited about that. I, I know many of y'all know Matt, especially if you've been around in Midtown College. Matt served there faithfully for about two years now. But uh, most of y'all probably don't know that Matt uh, is a graduate of Concordia University where he studied missions and theology. Am I right about that? And then he also went to Dallas Theological Seminary, great seminary, I went to seminary there, and got further training, biblical training there. He served on staff at a couple different churches and ministry positions before now. And, uh, And so he's well qualified for this position to be our leadership development pastor. Very excited about that. But I also wanted to announce this because of the way that it came about is worth y'all knowing. See, the way that uh, this happened was that Matt, uh, I got word that he was uh, pursuing full-time ministry. He actually applied for, uh, to a church outside of the state of Texas, and I wasn't happy about that. And so um, I went and had lunch with him, and over that lunch, we had a conversation about maybe what God might be up to with him here at Midtown. And uh, kind of through that conversation, it led to uh, me making an irresistible uh, uh, job offer to him to come on staff with us for free, no pay. <laughs> and Matt prayed about it. We talked a couple more times about it. And he came back and said, yeah, that's what I feel like God's leading me to do. That's what I want to do. I want to work here on staff for free. And so he's 25 hours a week committed to serving on staff here as our leadership development pastor, literally being good for nothing. And so we are really (laughs) excited about Matt and just wanted y'all to know what's happening there and what God's doing and just be able to celebrate that. And I also wanted to give you a chance to hear from Matt real quick, just kind of why and what he's going to be doing. So take it away, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So um, I thought I would tell you just a quick story. I was catching up with a buddy of mine uh, just last week, uh, a guy who, who I was friends with in college. He grew up in the church. I grew up in the church, and we were at the same church during our college years. And he was telling me what he was up to in life, and he's teaching at ACC. He's teaching uh, audio engineering and sound design. And I was like, well, man, how did that come about? And he said, well, what happened is I was getting my degree, and one of my professors got down with me, and he said, um, you know, like, where do you want to be in five years? Like, what, like, who do you want to become? What do you want to do? What do you want to be capable of doing? And uh, that professor basically came alongside him and gave him skills and experiences and opportunities. They worked on materials together. They worked on projects together and uh, helped my buddy build up his competency to be able to do the things that he wanted to do. And then my friend said this to me. He said, I never experienced that in church. I grew up in the church. He and I were at, this, at the same church during our college years. He says, I never once experienced that in church. What I experienced in church uh, is that people wanted to use me for my gifts. And they wanted me to, to, to use my gifts to serve the church, but didn't, didn't want to spend the time to pour back into me. And I felt so sorry for him because I had quite the opposite experience. I mean, I am where I am today in terms of my walk with God, in terms of the things that I do in ministry, because 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago to the month now, 
uh, I sat down with Josh Chevalier for the first time, and he invited me into doing college ministry with him. And he said to me on day one, the first time we ever sat down to eat, he said, I will never use you for your gifts. I will never ask you to give something to our ministry without pouring back into you in return. And so that's really what we want to do here at Midtown, is we want to make sure that when people come in our doors, they can see a clear pathway to the person who they truly long to become uh, in terms of ministry goals, in terms of life and personal and professional development. And so that's what we're going to try and build, is that we want people to be able to go from walking in the door at Midtown from the first time to being a huddle leader, to being an MC leader, to being a team leader, to being a pastor, elder, missionary, church planter. Uh, and so I'm really excited about uh, starting the conversation on what that could look like in our church and exploring different ways that he, we can help people move from where they are now to who they truly long to be. All right. And we're excited about what God's doing here. Okay, go take a seat. <laughs> How's that for a smooth transition? How, how, how cool is that? I'm, uh, I'm just really, ex really excited about what God's doing in Matt's life and then how God's going to use Matt here uh, to serve y'all and serve our, our community. So very, very exciting. So let me uh, transition now to the, to the message. Today we're actually wrapping up the, the book of Philippians, the series that we've been in for quite a while now. We bring it to a close today. But let me uh, start off by just uh, telling you one of the more stressful moments in my life. See, one of the more stressful moments in my life came about seven years ago when Krista and I and our son Camp, who was about two years old at the time, were in Uganda adopting our son Enoch. And we uh, had actually gone through, we had been there for a little over three weeks. We had walked through the Ugandan court process. Enoch was legally our son in the eyes of the Ugandan courts. We had gone through the U.S. process through the U.S. Embassy to get his visa and all the paperwork and all the stuff that needed to happen on that side of things so that we could get the green light from the U.S. to bring Enoch home with us. And finally, 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 we got the green light, which was an awesome moment. But here's the thing. When we were adopting Enoch, we had no idea how long we were going to be in Uganda. No one could tell us a definitive, like, this is going to take, like, three weeks or four weeks or five weeks. It, the, it turns out the, the Ugandan court system and, y'all know, the U.S. government bureaucratic system, like, no one's like, it's just going to take a long time for the process to happen. So it's just like, you got to go over there and just expect to be there for a little bit. So we planned to be there for about a month and hoped that that would be how long it was because that's about how much money we had to, to last us while we were there. So we, uh, but we met some other people that were adopting while we were there who had been there for six months. And so all along the way, we're like thinking, oh my goodness, like, okay, God, please, 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 let's be able to get back home in time before the money runs out. And um, finally, we got the green light and we was within the four week period of time, it was I think right at about four weeks. But because we didn't know when we we're going back, we weren't able to book our flights at this precise date of when we were going back. And so, and it turns out, it's expensive to book a last-minute flight from Uganda to Austin. I didn't know. And so we're on there looking at the site, like, okay, we could go home. We can go home. Let's look at, buy our flights. And <laughs> we didn't have it. And we didn't have enough money to cover flights back home. And so then we're left with, well, wait, we could buy flights out a little further out. But then we don't have the money to last while we're in Uganda. So you're just kind of, Chris and I are just looking at each other, like, Okay, we've got our two kids. We've got to figure out how to get home. We don't have enough money to get home. What are we going to do? And it's like this shocked 
feeling, this scared feeling, this anxious feeling. Can you, can you think about a time in your life when you um, <laughs> ran into like a time where money was really tight or non-existent? And, you know, the car breaks down and, you know, you don't have enough to fix it. And just that feeling that you have. Or the tax bill shows up and it was more than what you were expecting. Perhaps some of y'all just experienced that, right? Uh, hope not. Uh, you know, the medical bill comes in and you thought that you paid everything. But then, you know, they send that bill. It's like six months later. And it's like, well, I, what? How did I get this medical bill up? And it's just like, and you just feel that, like, sinking feeling. The tuition bill shows up. And it's like, oh, it's more than I thought. Gosh. How... Do you feel when that moment hits? Like what word would you use to describe your internal feeling, your emotion in that moment? My guess is it's probably not this word, content, right? I mean, that's not what Chris and I felt whenever we were like looking at the, the, how much it was going to cost us to get home. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're good. Now, like, it's scary. It's anxious. It's like just this, this, this turmoil in, inside of you because of, it's like, ah, right? But here this morning, what's really interesting as we close out this book is that um, Paul is going to talk about how in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, he was actually feeling Content. Like when things outside were just not okay at all, not okay, he would say, no, I'm, feel, I'm feeling actually like I'm okay. Like when things are just tumultuous outside, he says, no, I've got, I've got a sense of peace inside me. And I'll tell you, friends, like what I read here and what he says, I, I personally like lean in and I'm like, man, I want to learn that. See, he says it's something that he had to learn to be able to have peace when everything else is going bad, when he, to be content when everything else circumstances are going bad. He says he had to learn that. I think, Matt, Paul, I want to learn that. He says, man, there's a secret, actually, to having that kind of contentment. And I would say, man, can you tell me the secret? <laughs> I want in on that. Tell, tell me the secret. So today, we're going to get a chance to learn that secret. So if you will, turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 10. Now, real quick, before we get into the passage, I do want to just set it up because you, unless you haven't been, if you haven't been here with us since the beginning of this series, you might not know this. But remember, Paul actually wrote the letter of Philippians that we have in our Bibles. That he, he wrote that to the church in Philippi while he was in jail, specifically in under house arrest in Rome, and that means that his circumstances were really bad, okay? So the Apostle Paul, if you're not familiar with his story, he was, a, uh, when he became a Christ follower, Jesus follower, he sent out on this great missionary endeavor to uh, plant churches, to tell people about the good news of Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for them through his death and resurrection, how they can be reconciled to God. He said, I, I want everyone to know that. So he leaves, and he starts this endeavor of planting churches, telling people about Jesus all along the Mediterranean region, including the area that Philippi was. And so he starts the church in Philippi and you know, much else. But about 10 years later, he's arrested for teaching about Jesus, that he's you know, Lord and Savior. And he's thrown into jail, specifically, again, taken to Rome, put under house arrest. Now, that was really bad because at that time, the emperor was Nero. And if you're familiar with Nero, you know that Nero hated Christians. Like he's famous for lighting his gardens with Christians, like burning Christians. Like he was set on wiping out Christians. And so here is Paul, one of the primary like leaders within the Christian faith, and he's in Rome under Nero. It's like not a good situation. 
In addition, the way that Rome set up house, house arrest is that uh, though you were chained to a, a guard 24 hours a day, the prisoner was actually responsible for paying for his shelter and his food. But you couldn't have a job. So that, again, very difficult situation. So he's just completely needy on the gifts of others, others to provide for him in this situation. And Paul knows, like, man, there's any chance, there's a very high likelihood that any moment, Nero's going to say, off with his head, and he's going to be dead. That's his situation. It's into that that he writes the book of Philippians, and he closes the book of Philippians by thanking the church in Philippi for this financial gift that they brought him. And he says, man, it's a big deal that you did that. But as he starts talking about it, he says some pretty profound things, including the secret of contentment. So let's look at this together. Verse 10 is where we will begin. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Just pause right here because that's weird. Uh, he's saying, hey, I want you to know that the gift you sent me, like it meant a lot to me. I rejoiced over it, but I also, he's clear here, I, it was all, the reason I'm rejoicing is because not necessarily the gift, but because it let me know you still care for me. Like that's what really means a lot to me, that you care for me. Then he goes on, he actually says something even uh, more confusing. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. And it's like, Wait, what? Like, yes, you are, Paul. You, you are in need. You're in house arrest uh, in Rome. Like, you don't have a way to provide for yourself. You need, you need us to provide you money. What do you mean? I'm not in need. But it, what's interesting is that he, in this statement and what comes after, he, like, pauses. He says, man, I rejoice greatly because you renewed your care, your care for me, your concern for me. I, it made me happy that I know that, you still, that I still matter to you guys. But I want you to know. And he's like, I want to be real clear about this. I'm not rejoicing over the money, as if I needed this in order to be okay. Like, he wants to get this across. Like, this idea, because I'm in need, isn't physical need. It's internal. It's emotional. It's the, like, I'm not spiraling out of control, freaking out, worried, like, I'm going to die, or where's my next meal coming from? He's like, I want you all to know, I, didn't, I wasn't rejoicing because I was in need, I'm actually okay. In fact, it becomes clear what he finish, the way he finishes the sentence. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You think, man, teach me that. He says, I've learned to be content. Like, I've learned that when things are not okay, I've learned how to be okay. I've learned to be at peace, to be at rest, to be content, even when everything that's... That's going on out here is looking really bad. And then he doubles down on this statement. He says this in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, I think Paul... What are you talking about? <laughs> like, how in the world are, is this, like, possible for you to, to, to make this statement given the circumstances that you're in? But I think the reason that Paul is kind of going out of his way, like, he started to end the book of Philippians with this thank you for them for this gift, and he just gets one sentence in. 
And I want you to know I rejoice because you renew your concern for me. And then he just kind of takes this aside to say, I want you to know I didn't, I'm okay. Like my circumstances, they weren't messing with me internally. And the reason that he goes about like to take that aside, if you will, is because he wants them to know there's a way to be content no matter what your circumstances are. I think God through him wants us to know that there is a way for us to be okay when our circumstances are not okay. okay? He wants us to see that this is actually possible. And he wants us to get in on the secret, to, to learn the secret. That you can be okay even whenever things are not okay. You can be content even when things are bad. So, okay, Paul, what's the secret then? And he tells us in the next verse what the secret is. But before we go there, don't go there. i got to warn you, this verse is so pithy. It's so churchy. And it's been used so much out of context. I'm afraid it's just lost its punch. It's, it's lost its meaning. And when you hear it, you just kind of think, ah, well, I, I don't really understand that. And it's just like, ah. So, but try to understand. Like, try to follow me here. Because this is the secret to contentment that's not tied to your circumstances. Here, here, here it is. This is what he says. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Or perhaps you're more familiar with a different translation of the Bible, you know, a different English translation that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that verse is often hung up on people's walls or or put on banners. In fact, let me just say, this this is not what this verse means. Here you go. See this? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we can win the game. That's not what this verse means, okay? People think, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and so I can pass the test, or I can get through my to-do list today. And we think, that's what this means. And let me tell you, that's not what this means, okay? You have to break through. You need to listen. What Paul is saying, and in fact, why I like the NIV translation, which is what preach from each Sunday, is because the NIV translation takes with the Greek, and it, 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 in it, it inserts the, the context. So if you go back to it, it says, I can do all this through, who, through him who gives me strength. And you think, well, all of what? All, he's like, being content in all these circumstances, whether in plenty or in want, being hungry or, or being well-fed. I can do all this. I can be content in all circumstances through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. Or to put another way, Jesus is the one who gives me the strength or gives me the power to be at peace no matter what's going on with me. Jesus is the one who gives me the strength to be content internally, be okay, even when things are not okay. That's what Paul's saying. Now, you might ask, Okay, Paul, well, it still sounds really churchy. Like, what does that actually look like? And to me, I think if we had an opportunity to ask Paul that question, you know what I think he'd say? I think he'd say, it looks like me being in house arrest in Rome and not be freaking out. See, because Paul would say, if you think that I can be okay on my own (laughs) you think way too highly of me. See, if I was, felt like I was left here all alone, 
If I was like, it was up to me to just kind of like be real like a stoic and just be above the circumstances and to be able to feel like I can, you know, I'm very self-sufficient. And I, I'm not going to let anything affect me. He's like, Dude, no, no. Do you know Nero? Do you know what it's like to be under house arrest? No, I would be flipping out. I would be freaking out. I'd be worried and anxious. There would be a storm on the inside, just like the storm on the outside. But he says, no, 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 here. But here's what I know. I'm not alone. Here's what I know. Jesus has me. He, he has me. That as we sing, like he's the, Jesus is, is, is the Lord of all. Even in the storm, he's the Lord of all. And so here I am in the storm, but I know the one who's the Lord of all. And so I can, I can be at rest. He's, he's saying, you know, here, here. I can't do that on my own. But with Jesus and knowing that Jesus cares for me, that even if I die, even if that's what happens, I know Jesus has me. Not even death will separate me from Jesus. And so he says earlier in the book, man, to die would be gain. I would get to be with Jesus. So I'm okay because of Jesus. Or he says, but if, you know, if Jesus decides that I should live now, because he has more good works prepared in advance for me to do at this point in time, then I'm going to live because Jesus has me. He's the Lord of all. So I can, I'm going to be okay. And so I know that my hope is not in my circumstances, but in my Savior. And because of that, I have strength, his strength, to set my heart at ease, to help me be content, even when <laughs> everything out here is crazy. He says, I had to learn that. I had to learn that. That didn't come intuitively. It's like a secret. But I had to learn that. But when I've learned that, this is what I'm, I'm okay. I mean, Krista and I, the entire adoption process, God was teaching us that, that lesson. We, that's where if I were to point back at any time in our life where I say, we learned this secret, it was during that process. And there was, I could tell you story after story after story. But just to go back to the story I opened with, when we freaked out about, oh, man, we don't have money to get home. That's, that's an issue, right? And like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We did the only thing that we knew, knew to do. And Krista and I, we, we began to pray. We said, hey, let's pray. And we prayed and we started talking to Jesus about our situation. And as we, <laughs> we talked to him honestly about our fears and about, like, we, we don't know how to get home and what are we going to do and all that stuff, we also were reminded of who we were talking to. And we were reminded that he is not this distant God, but that he was there with us and that he cares for us. And he cares for camp and he cares for Enoch, our, our son that we just adopted. And he's, he's led us up to this point. He, we said we just knew he's got us. And we don't know what that means. That means we're going to get home soon or if he has more for us to do in Uganda. And so we're, you know, but he's got us. And if he wants us to get home, then he can make a way for us to get home because he's got us. And so we just looked at each other after praying. We said, hey, we're going to be okay. And that statement had nothing to do with how much money we had in our bank account or how much cost the flights were. It had everything to do with Jesus and his strength and the knowledge that he cares for us and that he has us. 
And we felt at peace. We felt content. So that's, that's like a, that's, it's a secret. And it's something you have to learn. And the reason you have to learn that is because we intuitively don't think that way. That we intuitively think that our comfort and our contentment and our sense like we're going to be okay is found in other things. But here's, here's, if I were to sum it up, here's the secret of contentment. It would be this. secret of contentment is confidence in Christ's care. It's confidence in Christ's care. I think that's what Paul was getting at here. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. How does he strengthen me? He strengthens me by knowing that Jesus cares for me, and that gives me strength. Jesus' love for me, his care for me, gives me strength to be able to make it through these circumstances, even how crazy and hard they are. That's what helped Krista while we were in Uganda, Krista and I when we were in Uganda. That's confidence in Christ's care. Because if, if we were to take as a culture, and maybe even personally, this verse, Philippians 4.13, and, and make it actually say what we often believe, I think we would say something like this. I can do all this through cash money, <laughs> which supplies for me. See, I think that that's why this has to be learned. Because how we normally think, and it's not the only, cash is not the only thing, money is not the only thing we look to for this, but it's probably the main thing. I mean, how often do you feel like, man, you know, as long as I have enough of a cushion of, of money, to, then I can get through life's downturns, right? And, man, if the car breaks down or, or if the medical bills or whatever it might be, if I lose my job, then, man, that's going to be terrible. But if I can just look at my bank account and there's a good amount of money in there, then I'm not going to flip out. See, I, I can be okay as long as I know the money's there. Friends, if that's how you think, then I want to encourage you today to wrestle with that. Because that is the complete opposite mindset of what Paul's putting forth here. Like the whole reason he writes verses 11 through 13 is to make sure that the Philippians know that what made him content is not the amount of money they sent him as a gift. He's purposefully saying, the reason that I'm okay has nothing to do with having plenty or, or being in want or having being well-fed. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with this gift you sent me. That I was rejoicing because I knew that you cared for me, but I was okay without the money. See, because I have confidence in Christ's care. And guys, we got to wrestle with that. Because I think we often think that money can buy our contentment. And guys, money can't buy our contentment. At least, let me put it this way. You know, I don't want to make some, like, oh, very churchy statement. You're know, like, yeah, it can. It can help me at times whenever I have money. Yeah, of course. But here's the truth. Money can't buy stable contentment. It can't. At best, money is going to provide you some kind of shallow, unstable kind of contentment, some shallow, unstable kind of peace. And it certainly can't affect every part of your life, but it, there's some things that money can affect. Other things money can't affect at all. We were, you know, how your relationships are going and things like that. Like money, it, it, it comes up short. I mean, money is a blessing, but it's a terrible savior. It can't, it can't bring us contentment. But man, we naturally think that it can. 
Paul says, no, no, you got to learn this. It's a secret. But there's a deeper contentment that's found. There's a stable contentment that's found. That isn't based on circumstances. That's found only in confidence in Christ's care. And I want you to have it, Philippians. And I think God, including this letter in the Bible, he's saying, I want you to have that, Midtown Church. I want you to know this secret. Now, what's, what will happen is if you learn this secret, and you learn to say, okay, my, my contentment is not going to be placed on how much money I have, then one of the things that's going to happen is that it's going to free you to use money to do what it can do. Instead of looking to use our money to do what it cannot do, like buy contentment, when you know where your contentment really is found, then you're freed to use your money in a way that it, you know, so that it can accomplish what it actually can accomplish. And that's where Paul goes next in the rest of this letter. Now, <laughs> I'm going to be way short on time, so I'm going to run through this, but there's a number of things that he says here that are really practically helpful. Four things he says that money can do. Four eternally significant things he says that money can do. He begins this way in verse 14. He says, um, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles, meaning, meaning giving money while I'm, in tr- I'm in under house arrest. That's how they shared in his troubles. So it was good for you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now, there's two things that he says here about, about what money can do that I want to point out to you first. The first is this, that money can provide for those in need. And you think, of, well, of course, like we know that. But notice when Paul says, if you go back to the verse, when he says, it was good for you to share in my troubles, like he's, he's, making, a, he's making a real statement, not just like, hey, it was nice of you. He's actually saying, no, it was good. Like it was right for you to share in my troubles. Like, when you, when you showed up to take care of me when I was in need, that, that's, that's what, like, man, that's what Christian life looks like. That's what being a father of Christ looks like. It was good. It was right. And here's the thing. Because God, he provides for people that are in need. His, one of his primary, if not, I would say, his primary way to provide for people in need is by blessing others with more than they need. So that you can turn around and help those who are in need. If you go back to the story of Uganda, Chris and I, we pray, we feel the peace, like, God, Christ cares for us. We're going to be okay. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to be okay. And we have this peace, and we say, okay, but you know what? We still want to get home. <laughs> so what are we going to do? Well, let's ask more people to pray. And so we had a Facebook group of our friends back home who were praying for us while we were in Uganda adopting Enoch. So we post on there, hey, you know, Something's come up. It's going to be tricky for us to get home. Could y'all just be praying? And we didn't say, like, here's how much money we need or anything like that. We just put that out there to ask people to pray. Now, that was like the middle of the night in Austin when we posted that from Uganda. But the next morning in Austin time, <laughs> Krista gets a call from one or call or was it an a email a post on the Facebook? Yeah, she said yes. So post on Facebook from her, her friend, former coworker, a uh, lady named Stephanie. And she said, hey praying for you. My husband and I talked, and like, man, it would be our privilege. If it's a money issue, we, we would love to 
to pay for y'all's tickets home. Four tickets home, last minute from Uganda to Austin. Not, not a cheap gift. But she says, no, no, this is, this is our privilege. We would love that. Within two days, we were getting on a plane, headed home to Austin. That was an, an amazingly generous gift that meant so much to me, so much, so much to Krista. Not just because we got to go home, but because, you know what, friends? Stephanie and her husband became the tangible expression of the truth that Christ cares for us. What we knew in that moment when we remembered, okay, we're going to be okay because Jesus has us. Stephanie became the means by which Jesus had us. And that did wonders, again, for our confidence in Christ's care for us. And when we provide for the needs of others, friends, it's not just that we're alleviating their needs, though that's good and awesome and we should do that, but it can go even beyond that. When you connect that to Jesus and you're able to say, hey, this, this, we, we're, we're going to meet your needs, but we want to help out with this, whatever. But we want to do this because, not because you want, we want you to think that we're something. No, no, no. We want you to know Jesus cares for you. And it's an honor for us to be a part of showing that to you. So as a church family, many of y'all have done that. I could tell you story after story after story, and yet there's still room for us to grow in this. Let us use our money to do one of the things it can do, to provide for those in need and to connect that to Jesus' care, that their confidence in that would grow so that they can find the secret of contentment that Christ cares for you. That's one thing. He says. second thing he says, how am I doing? Woo, it's going to be tough. Um, money can... Help advance the gospel. Okay, and this is a little bit of also of a no-brainer, but like in these verses, he's talking about when I set out from Macedonia, that's the region that the city of Philippi was in. He said, when I set out from there to go, and uh, the reason he was going was to go tell more people about Jesus so that more people can know that G who Jesus was, that he's the Son of God, and that what he did, that he lived the perfect life, that he died in our place on the cross, he rose again, that we could be reconciled to God. That's the message he's bringing to people who never even heard it before. And he says, I'm going to go do that, and you guys, and you, church and Philby, were the only ones. Y'all sent aid to me multiple times to help me do that ministry. Of course, money does never buy someone's salvation. Of course, I'm not saying that. But money helps fund those who are taking the gospel to other people. It helps fund and enable, in that way, the gospel to advance. And he says, this is what you guys did, Church of Philippi. In fact, if you go back to the passage, just one thing I want to point out is when he says, um, Early in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. I love that. He said, like, y'all were y'all babies in the faith. Like, I, you just heard the good news of the gospel. And then I was like, hey, I got to go. I got to tell more people. And you're like, man, no, everyone needs to hear this. Like, from the get-go. Like, this isn't, oh, mature believers or, or you know, where they, they're the ones who actually give to help the gospel go forward. No, these people, you know who gives to help the gospel move forward? People who understand the gospel. People who understand the joy of the gospel of their salvation, and they want others to know that because it's the only way 
for people to be reconciled to God, those are the people who really give to see the gospel advance. And this church got it from the early days. That's when you give to Midtown Church, you know you're helping the gospel advance in our city of Austin. You know that you're helping the, the gospel advance throughout the world. Like We have missionaries that we've sent out from our church family. Missionaries in Indonesia, missionaries in Japan, missionaries in Tanzania, missionaries in the Dominican Republic. Right now, living that came from our church family. Part of what you give goes to support them. And you can give outside of Midtown, too, to other missionaries. I know many of you all do that. But part of what money can do is it can help the gospel advance. And that's amazing. And there is no way on this side, on the other side of eternity, that you're going to feel like that was a poor investment. No way. In fact, Paul gets into that next. He says, here's the next thing that money can do. He says, um, money can secure eternal rewards. It's kind of a wild deal. But look at the verse. Verse 17, he says, um, not that I desire gifts, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Okay, what are you talking about there, Paul? Credit to our account. Like, well, Paul's getting at what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6. When he says, hey, don't, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and thieves can break in and steal. He says, no, no, store up treasures in heaven. Like, well, how, how do you do that, Jesus? Store up treasures in heaven. Paul's saying here, the way we do that and this is, I know this is weird, but when you give money to provide for the needs of others, to see the gospel advance, God says, hey, that so honored me, I'm, I credit that to your account. That's like storing up treasure in heaven. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, highly recommend, great book. He says, here's the treasure principle. <laughs> When it comes to money, no one, none of us can take any, any of it with us, right? When you die, you leave it all behind. But you can send it on ahead. And when we give to the kingdom to see God worship, the gospel advance to provide for the needs of others, Jesus says in this way that I, don't th- I can't fully communicate, but he says it's credited to your account. Now, it's wild, right? Now, this has nothing to do with earning your salvation. What this has to do is one day, as a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to stand before Jesus in heaven one day, and he's going to evaluate your life. You're going to give an account for your life. And what's at stake at that moment is not where you're going to spend eternity. That's already taken care of. You're in heaven when this is happening because of what Jesus did for you, not what you did for him. It's all based on his death and your faith in him. That's not what's at stake. What is at stake is eternal reward. And if you sum up what eternal reward is, it's, it's, simply, it's, it's simply honor and opportunity that you get from Jesus for all eternity. And the money that you use to advance the gospel and the money you use to provide for the needs of people, you will be rewarded for. In fact, you will reap the dividends of for all eternity. Paul says here, I wasn't desirous of your gift. Here's what I really want. I want you to get more credit to your account. That's one thing that money can do. How wild is that? Okay, last thing. Money can also be used to worship God. 
And he says this in verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are fragrant, offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He says, all right, that, though you gave this gift to me, church in Philippi, Paul says, look what he connects it to. It's a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to Paul. No, no, pleasing to God. And then when we give our money to meet others' needs and see the gospel advance, friends, that is worship that God receives as a pleasing gift, as a sacrificial gift that honors him. That's why every Sunday when we take offering, we say, now we're going to continue our worship through offering. And what we could honestly say is that we are going to now move to our most sacrificial and honoring time of worship today through taking of offering. Because guys, worship in its essence is ascribing worth to someone. That's what worship is. And you know what kind of, uh, you know what helps ascribe great worth to someone? Is when you have to sacrifice something in order to ascribe that worth to them. And when we give, it's sacrificial, isn't it? But it's so honoring and pleasing to God. It ascribes worth to him really like nothing else. There's lots of ways to worship, and he loves all of it, but this is, this is a unique way to worship God. That's one thing money can do. It can be used to worship God. Paul says, hey, don't buy into the lie that you can use money to buy your contentment. It can't do that for you, or at least it can't do that in a way that's stable or that's of any depth. But here's what can make you content, no matter your, any circumstance. Confidence in Christ's care for you. And when you're confident in Christ's care for you, then you're not going to cling to your money as if that's the thing that's going to provide for you. That frees your hand to be able to use your money to do what it actually can do. Provide for those in need. Increasing their confidence in Christ's care for them. It, it can lead to advancing the gospel that people can hear the good news and be saved. It leads to uh, storing rewards in heaven and it leads to worshiping our God. And then he wraps up the book by going back to the very thing that he said, like, remember this. You won't do that unless you're really confident in Christ cares for you. So he wraps it up with this last verse, verse, nine, uh, verse 19 20. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, here's what I want you to remember. God cares for you. How much? He's going to meet your needs according to the riches of Christ's glory. That's a lot. <laughs> riches of Christ's glory. That's a lot. He says, no, no, here. Christ cares for you. God's going to meet your needs. That's where your hope is found. That's what can set your heart at rest so that you can give freely. Do you know that Christ cares for you, friends? Are you confident in Christ's care for you? We end today by taking communion. And this Sunday, we end by looking ahead to what we're celebrating as, a, as, as believers this week with Good Friday on Friday and Easter Sunday. And all of that, friends, that's the thing 
that can give us confidence and really like ultimate confidence that Christ cares for us. Because what we celebrate on Good Friday, what we remember on Easter, what we celebrate when we take the bread and the cup is this, that God loves us so much that Christ died for us. That Jesus loves us so much that he laid down his life for us that we could be reconciled and adopted into his family. How much does God care for you? His body broken, his blood spilled. His death for you. Um, As I want to encourage you, as we take communion, let Jesus speak to your heart his great care for you. May your confidence in that grow even now so that you can begin to learn the secret of contentment. The the communion table is open for everybody. Uh, If you place your faith in Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, come and take this. If you've never believed that, I would encourage you to use this time right now to ask God, God, is this true? Do you really care for me to this degree that you died for me? And perhaps even now you would believe that. We're going to have people praying in the back, uh, Chris and Greg Tolander, if you want to pray with them during time of communion. And then we're going to use this time to also respond and praise to Jesus for his great love and care and in light of how much we need him. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this truth that there is a way to be content that's not contingent on our circumstances. And God, would you grow us in our confidence of the truth that, Jesus, you care for us. And we're not alone. Even when our world is going wild and crazy, we, we know that we're in good hands. And God, the way that we know we're in good hands is because of what we're remembering right now. It's because Christ's hands were pierced for us. Because his body was broken for us and his, blood, and, and his blood was spilled for us. That he died for us that we could be brought in to your loving arms. God, will you grow our confidence in that now? That we can start to enjoy the contentment found in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.